Happy Wednesday to you, church family. Let me encourage you to get your copy of the scripture and find 2 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to talk tonight on the subject matter, Saving Grace, Family Legacy, and Supernatural Power. Saving Grace, Family Legacy, and Supernatural Power. And so if you'd find 2 Timothy chapter 1 and have that ready, we'll read scripture in a moment. I do want to go over a few uh, housekeeping matters with you. Uh, we've got some folks in our church to remember. Uh, Keith Roney is going in for surgery uh, probably uh, about, about now. Uh, so we want to remember him. Uh, he's having some surgery at Gateway today in, in Concord. And so remember him. It's outpatient surgery. We want to continue to remember Dr. Willis, who had surgery last week uh, on an intestinal blockage. Uh, Jean Riles is home from the hospital now, came home uh, yesterday evening. Uh, Vivian Fisher has been at Northeast. She had a moderate uh, heart attack last week and had some stents put in uh, her arteries, and so pray for her full recovery. Also, Naomi Phelan had surgery last week, and Frank Wright, uh, Frank and Susan Wright, Frank has been in the hospital also. And so remember all of these families as they have needs in their life right now. Uh, pray for their physical needs and for their doctors to have wisdom uh, to treat them. Uh, also, I do want to remind you of this coming Sunday. We'll be back in dual, uh, dual places on campus, those 65 and older. And then any, regardless of age, with compromised immunities will be meeting in the sanctuary. Everyone else will be down at the core. And then, of course, you can watch online as well if you're not ready to come back in person yet. And so I just want to remind folks of, of uh, the return to that schedule this coming Sunday. Uh, I want to read the passage, and then uh, we're going to go through verses 1 through 7. You know, as, as Brody spoke to the graduates this past Sunday morning, I, I couldn't help but think about this passage. This kept resonating in my mind and then on top of that, I'm thinking about all the fear that we see in society today. And again, this passage speaks to that as well. And so I wanted to go over these verses with you tonight. In verse 1, uh, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. 
For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. As we start to think about this passage tonight, uh, let me ask you to just sort of hide away in your thoughts the Great Commission. In the Great Commission, of course, uh, we're told that the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Again, we know that, obviously, as the Great Commission. And I want to ask you to keep those words in the back of your mind. Now, why am I encouraging you to do that? Because the context of 2 Timothy is that Timothy will have the courage to be a witness. It takes courage when you're in the midst of sharing the gospel in a public setting. Now, as we come to these verses in 2 Timothy 1, we know from a basic chronology of his life that Paul is about to die. Uh, he's in his second imprisonment. The first imprisonment was more of a house arrest, and he was released from that, obviously. But now he's in a prison in Rome, and he will not be delivered this time. He will be martyred. Uh, because of his faith in Jesus. But there's no regret in Paul's life. There's no fear. In fact, right off in verse 1, he mentions the promise of life that is in Jesus Christ. Later on in chapter 1, Paul will say, For I know in whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. What a wonderful testimony. There's eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord, and Paul knew that his life and his future was safe in the hands of the Lord. Now Paul, who's ready to die, knows that death for the Christian involves the promise of life. It's kind of like he also said to the Philippians, when he said in Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Same confidence that he's expressing here. Now, obviously, Paul is addressing Timothy in both 1st and 2nd Timothy. Uh, there is an assumption, however, though, that this letter, while written to Timothy, will be shared with the whole church. Paul is Tim, uh, uh, Timothy is the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And as Paul writes to Timothy, Timothy is to turn around and share this letter with the church body. Uh, we know that. And so there's a corporate application to it as well as applying to Timothy's life. Second Timothy is a very moving letter from Paul to a younger man in the faith, Timothy. 
Timothy is like Paul's son in the faith. And Paul is concerned that with himself passing off this scene, that Timothy will rise to the challenge. And he'll pick up the gospel baton and he'll run with it and be a bold witness of Christ. Again, Paul knows he's about to die. And so Timothy and other young men like him are going to have to pick up the baton. The commentator and Greek scholar, Hanley Mool, says that as you read this letter, it's like it's written in more than just ink, but it's written in the very blood of the Apostle Paul. That's a powerful statement. Paul is officially charging Timothy in 2 Timothy to rise to the challenge and carry on in Paul's absence and to do just like Paul has done, to follow in Paul's footsteps. Timothy needs to invest his life in the life of others who in turn will rise to the challenge. You know, that's a constant need in the church today, that we disciple others who will disciple others who will disciple others. We need to pass our faith and Christian convictions along. God buries his servants, but his work goes on. God is challenging each of us here through a book like 2 Timothy, to invest in others and charge them to do the same. He's charging each of us to remain true to the gospel, to guard the gospel as a sacred deposit, but again, to keep it ourselves and then pass it along to others. You know, in light of declines in the evangelical church in America today, I can't think of any greater need for believers today than, than we grasp the message of 2 Timothy and we carry out what Paul is instructing us to do here through this letter. We're going to see in our verses that while it is great to have been blessed with a spiritual heritage in our families, there's a need for each of us to fan into flames the gift of God in us and to personally take a bold stand for Christ. Now, the first thing I want you to write down with me tonight is that there is great importance to our relationship with fellow believers. There is great importance to our relationship with fellow believers. No one is called to be a lone ranger. Paul continually prays for Timothy and he expresses in the first four verses how he, he longs to see Timothy again. Um, he longs to have that renewed fellowship with him. Timothy is his son in the faith. You know, I hope you have people like that in your life. We're far richer because of the relationships that we have in our lives. And there's nothing like Christian relationships. I don't know if you've noticed this, but anywhere you go in the world, when you find other Christians, it's like there's an instant bond that you have with them. Now, remember something as Paul says here that he's constantly praying for Timothy. Paul, having been a rabbi before being converted to Christ, would have been in the custom of praying three times a day, the morning prayer, the afternoon prayer, and the evening prayer. Generally, that would have probably been 9 a.m., 3 p.m., 6 p.m. Did Paul continue that practice after becoming a believer? We don't know the answer to that, 
But we do know that Paul was a consistent man of prayer. And he probably did preserve times of prayer throughout the day. And so when he tells Timothy here that he's been constantly praying for Timothy, that's no exaggeration. That's not just words. He's been constantly praying for for Timothy because prayer was such a part of Paul's life. I would suggest that we do the same, have regular times of prayer throughout the day, you know, not not to be legalistic about it, but just build some of those times into your daily schedule because if we don't, we're going to succumb to the tyranny of the urgent and probably get to the end of our day and not have prayed. And as we pray, we need to constantly be remembering others in our prayers. We need to be engaged in intercessory prayer. We need to love Christian fellowship and we need to Pray for other Christians that God will strengthen them and help them and use them. Christian fellowship is so important. Uh, Paul's not the only one who recognized that. John recognized it. In 1 John, uh, in those five chapters, John talks about the importance of loving one another. In fact, how loving one another in the, in the body of Christ is even one of the indicators that we've been truly born again. John says if we don't love one another, then, then we've not been changed by the grace of God. We've not been born again. So again, Christian fellowship is important. And as we fellowship together, we need to pray for one another. Pray together and pray for one another. Follow the example of Paul and other saints like Paul in the scripture who prayed for one another, fellowship together and prayed for one another. That's one of the privileges of being in the body of Christ, corporate church life. Again, we're not to be lone rangers. Paul longed to see Timothy, and again, he's expressing that here and how he's been praying for him day and night. Now, the second thing I want you to notice about this passage, there's a great blessing in our spiritual heritage. Not only does Paul want to fellowship with Timothy and assures Timothy of his prayers, but he says, Timothy, I think about your spiritual heritage he says uh, in, in verse 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. I mentioned this past Sunday as he was speaking to the graduates. I couldn't help but think about this verse as I thought about those graduates and the families they've come from in our church and the spiritual legacy that they have. Uh, that's important as believers, that we leave behind a legacy like that. And as Paul thinks of Timothy, he, he thinks of Timothy's spiritual heritage in, in, his, in his family. He says, uh, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Literally in the Greek, it is a faith without hypocrisy. It's the word hypocrisy in the Greek with the alpha privative in front of it that negates it. So literally a no 
hypocrisy type of faith. Timothy had a very genuine faith. Uh, he was very sincere in his faith. He wasn't two different people. He wasn't one man in private and another man in public. He had a sincere faith. He was the real deal. You know, a lot of times people today accuse people in the church of being hypocrites. That's just an excuse they use, I think, to stay away from church. Uh, plus, you know, church is a great place for hypocrites. Maybe they'll learn the truth. Uh, but anyway, again, I think a lot of people just use that as an excuse. But we know that we're certainly not to be hypocrites. We're to be sincere in our, in our faith. Uh, that word has a rich history in Greek and Roman life. Originally, a hypocrite was somebody who was very skilled in the theater. They were able to play two different parts in a Greek play. They would, they would wear masks and they'd be like a good guy in one scene and a bad guy in the other. They were talented. They could play two different roles. They were two-faced. They were hypocrites. But then, of course, over time, the word took on a negative connotation of somebody who wasn't consistent in, the, in their life. Uh, well, Timothy wasn't like that. He wasn't two-faced with his faith. He was non-hypocritical. He was the real deal. And notice what Paul says here. It's the same type of faith that had been in Timothy's grandmother and then in his mother. I want you to remember back to when Paul met Timothy in Acts chapter 16. Uh, Timothy's dad was not a believer. Uh, but he had a believing mother and grandmother. Single parents who are trying to be a Christian example, that says volumes to you. You know, Timothy himself, uh, he only had one parent who was trying to instill Christian faith in him. And his, his mother was very successful in that. So I want you to be encouraged by that. If you feel like you don't get help from your spouse, whether you're a single mom or a single dad, you can still make a tremendous impact in the life of your child. What a blessing to have a mom or a dad who instills the Christian faith in you. One parent can make a tremendous difference. Timothy had a mom who'd make a difference in his life and a grandmother. They were sincere in their faith and they passed that faith along to Timothy. And now Timothy is expressing that same kind of sincere faith. And when Paul is there in that prison cell, and he's thinking about Timothy. Folks, think of the significance of this. This is what comes to mind when he thinks of Timothy. Timothy is a very genuine young man. Paul has confidence that he can pass the Christian baton along to Timothy, and, and Timothy's going to continue the work that, that Paul has started. And so I think this says a great deal about Paul's confidence in Timothy because of the character that Timothy had. Well, the third thing I want you to notice, there's a great need that we understand our urgent calling. There's a great need that we understand our urgent calling. He says in verse 6, 
For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Now, stay with the flow of what's going on here a moment. A moment. Uh, Paul and Timothy had that bond. Uh, Paul had been his mentor and father in the faith. Timothy had a rich family history with his mother and grandmother. Timothy's faith was genuine and sincere. But I want you to notice what Paul's saying. That doesn't mean that Timothy can now just coast. He tells Timothy, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Timothy needs to build on this heritage that he has. He needs to build on these uh, older mentors in his life, like his mother and grandmother and the Apostle Paul. Timothy needs to fan into flames the gift of God in him. You know, General Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, once sent a message to those serving under him. He said, the tendency of fire is to go out. Watch the fire on the altar of your heart. That's a good word. The tendency of fire is to go out. Watch the fire on the altar of your heart. Now, the NIV is good here. It paints a very graphic image. He says, fan into flame. That's the meaning of the words. Fires have to be fanned. They have to be stoked up. Coals have to be stoked up. You've got to pay attention to them. Folks, here we see a beautiful balance between the sovereignty of God on the one hand and the responsibility of man on the other. God saves us. God equips us. As Paul points out here in verse 9, he says, He saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of His own purpose and grace. And so God saves us and equips us, but this does not mean that we simply let go and let God as the old saying used to be. Yes, salvation is of the Lord. The gifts are of the Lord. But you have to fan them into flames. There may be an indication here that Timothy had begun to lose some of his passion, some of his drive. Maybe Timothy is, is discouraged because his mentor is in jail now and is about to be martyred for his faith. And so maybe that's caused Timothy to shrink back a little bit. Maybe the thought of Paul's trials have also caused Timothy to shrink back some. And we have indication in 1 Timothy that Timothy was probably a little bit timid and weak anyway and had frequent health problems. So all of these things factor in uh, to Timothy needing some courage because he tended towards timidity and fear. And he sort of had a weak physical constitution. Whatever the reason that Paul sees that Timothy needs to pay attention 
to these words here, Timothy does need to pay attention. He needs to fan into flames the gift of God that is within him. He needs to give serious attention to his own heart now. Paul's about to be gone off the scene. He's not going to have the Apostle Paul to fall back on. Timothy needs to carry on in the strength of the Lord. Now, when Paul says, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands, there's a couple of possibilities that this might refer to that scholars write about. One possibility may be that Paul is referring to the Holy Spirit himself. At conversion, the Holy Spirit moves into the believer's life. The Holy Spirit is the seal on our life, life, God's seal of ownership. And remember what Jesus told his disciples about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would be our helper, our teacher, and our comforter. Well, we know it's possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. We also know it's possible to quench the Spirit. And so maybe what Paul is saying to Timothy here, he needs to fan into flames the gift of the Spirit. He needs to be filled with the Spirit. He was already baptized in the Spirit because he's saved. He's been regenerated. But he needs to be filled with the Spirit. And so he needs to fan that into flames each and every day. A second possibility could be that this is a reference to Timothy's spiritual gift. Timothy was now a pastor. We can assume his gift was that of being a pastor teacher. And so he needed to fan that gift into flames. He would need to study and to prepare his heart and mind because a call to preach is a call to prepare. He would need to develop leadership skills. He would need to develop skills of ministering to people. He needed to fan all this into flames. He needed to develop it. And you know, you and I need to do the same. The same challenge is extended to us. If you're a Christian, you have a spiritual gift. God's given you that gift according to his sovereign design. But you have to develop it, and you have to use it. You have to stir it up. You know, ultimately, we may not have to make a choice between what Paul is addressing here. It may be both. The gift of the Spirit and the gift of the spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit gives to a believer. Both of those. Timothy needs to fan that into flames. That certainly says something about your and my Christian dedication. Folks, we're not just to kick it in neutral every day. Again, we're saved by God's grace. We're kept by God's grace. We will make it home to heaven one day only by God's grace. But that doesn't mean we're to kick it in neutral and coast. We're to fan into flames the gift of God within us. There's to be a dedication, a consecration about our Christian lives and service. There's to be a commitment, a commitment to growth and service. 
Now, look at what he goes on to tell Timothy in verse 7. He says, For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Almost all commentators say that this is a reference to the Holy Spirit, and therefore the word spirit should be capitalized. But you'll notice in a lot of translations, it's not capitalized. It's a small s, referring to the human spirit. Whichever way you understand it, the spirit God has given us is not the spirit of fear, but of power. As I've mentioned, Timothy was evidently shy and timid. And yet God had called a timid person to be a pastor. I can relate to that. I grew up very timid. I wouldn't even dream of speaking in public. You know, God's got a sense of humor, doesn't he? Calling somebody timid into public ministry. But I want you to think about this for today. God has not given us a spirit of fear. The world, what do we see as we click on the news today and we see everything going on in the world? The world's operating out of fear. Everybody's afraid of something today. But God has not given his children a spirit of fear. God gives us calm and peace in the midst of storms. Plus, you know, there's a lot of fear that keeps people from doing what they believe God has called them to do. Maybe they fear rejection or they fear failure, and so consequently they do nothing. But folks, we need to be reminded God has not given us a spirit of fear. Well, if he's not given us a spirit of fear, what has he given us? He says he's given us power, love, and self-discipline power. Think about that. Remember the Great Commission in Acts 1-8? That's another version of the Great Commission where Jesus told his disciples that the Holy Spirit's power would come upon them. And once the Holy Spirit's power came upon them, they would be able to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost ends of the earth. God empowers us to do whatever God calls us to do. He doesn't leave us on our own. It's like the Great Commission at the end of Matthew 28. He says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God gives his presence and power that Whatever he calls us to do, we will be able to do in the power and the strength of the Lord. Well, not only does God give power, he gives love. He gives us love. A number of years ago, I had a retired minister by the name of Max Pendleton who came and spoke here. And in the message that day, Max told you about how his son, who was a police officer, had been gunned down and killed in the line of duty. And Max spoke about how he wanted to get inside of the prison and visit with the gentleman who had killed his son. He didn't want to take revenge. He wanted to get in the prison and share the love of Christ with the very man who had killed his son. How in the world could anybody do something like that? The natural man would want revenge. It's because God gives us 
the capability of love. The word here is agape love. It's the kind of love that allows us to take our eyes off of ourselves and see others as God sees them. If we have agape love and see lost men, uh, we're going to want to reach out to them with the gospel, with the love of Christ. If we don't have agape love, we'll say, well, you know what? I'm on my way to heaven. That's all that matters. Just let them be on their own. But if we have agape love, we see lost people, we see hurting people, nobody's going to have to beg us or twist our arm to go and minister to them and share Christ with them. You see, that's what God's love does. God's love transforms us and then it flows out of us to touch a lost and a dying world. God gives us that kind of love. He gives, He doesn't give us fear. He gives us power to do what He's called us to do. He gives us love. Love to see others and the world as He sees others and the world. God also gives us self-control. Self-control. One commentator, Dr. Philip Towner, says, Paul has in mind a measure of control over one's thinking and actions that allows a balanced outlook on any situation. When everything is coming unglued, this quality of level-headedness will keep the Christian focused calmly on the power and love that the Spirit provides and so makes it, and so it makes perseverance in life and ministry possible. Self-control. Folks, Paul's point to Timothy in these verses is a needed word for us today. Again, don't sit back and rest on your spiritual heritage. Thank God for your spiritual heritage. If you've got those mentors that you can look back to, older men and women who impacted your walk with Christ, thank God for that legacy. But now what are you going to do with it? You've got to fan it into flames. You've got to get fired up. You've got to stay close to the Lord. Uh, you've got to stay in His power and, and His love and the self-control that, that He brings. We've got to grow and rely on the Lord every step of the way. Folks, you and I have been saved to serve. You know, salvation is not just simply for our personal benefit. Obviously, we do benefit out of it. Uh, thank God when He saves us, and our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But God saves us to serve, to touch a lost and a dying world, and bring the hope of the gospel to others. And that's why Paul's going to say also in 2 Timothy 2, verse 10, he says, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You see, a Christian ought to always have his eyes on others that God wants to reach through his own witness. Again, I, I couldn't help but think this past Sunday of these graduates, their heritage. And I want you to think a moment about your spiritual heritage. 
But now ask yourself, what are you doing with that heritage? The baton has been passed to you. Chances are some of those older mentors who impacted your life, they're gone. They're with the Lord. What are you doing to carry on the impact that they had in your life? What are you doing to have that same kind of impact on others? Are you fanning into flames the gift of God in you? Are you living in fear and and shrinking back from opportunities God's giving you? Or are you going about in the strength and power of the Lord and in the love and the self-control that He gives you? Folks, remember, as I've been saying to you lately, God has put us here to be salt and light. We don't live in isolation from everybody and from the world. We're to be out there in the marketplace and in the world making a difference. I want to ask you to recommit to that in your own life. Thank God for your background, but ask God to give you the strength now to be that example to others who are coming after you. Fan into flames the gift of God in you. Do you know your spiritual gift? Are you developing it? Are you using it? God's got a place for you in His family, in His body, in His work, in His mission. Are you busy about that? Very soon, Paul knows he's going to pass off the same. In chapter 4, he says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Paul's wanting Timothy to be able one day to get to the end of his life and to have that same confidence and that same assurance. How about you? How about me? Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for these words, very powerful words about the fact that that we live in the midst of relationships with other people and with other believers. We need one another. We need to pray for one another. We need to serve together. We need to be a part of people's lives. We need to be growing in our own life and making the impact that you've called us to make. So Lord, in our own lives, help us to fan into flames the gift of God that's within us. Help us not to shrink back, but to step forward and to be that witness in the world that you've called us to be. Lord, we've had so many examples go before us. Help others to be the type of example that those coming after us will look to and be encouraged by. Lord, we pray for those in our church family that we mentioned a moment ago that have physical needs in their life right now. Uh, We pray for Keith Roney, for Dr. Willis, for Gene Riles, for Vivian Fisher, Naomi Phelan, Frank Wright, and I'm sure there's many others 
Lord, you know their needs. I pray that they would get the medical attention that they need right now in order to get well. And Lord, we, we pray that we'll be able to see these folks very soon as they worship with us again and minister among us. Let them know how much you love them and may they see your presence and your power in their lives day in and day out. Lord, we pray for this Sunday service that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, that you would give us the strength we need as the body of Christ to live in these troubling days. Lord, help us not to be fearful. Many people around us are fearful. But remind us you've not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of self-discipline and a sound mind. So help us to be the bold witnesses and the salt and light you've called us to be in a troubled world. And may it be for your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.